So the houses that always sell first in any market, whether it's a seller's market or a buyer's market, have that combination, you know, they're, they're priced like Walmart, but they give you the features of Neiman Marcus. IRC Wealth. Take control of your finances and embrace life without worrying about money. Welcome back to another episode of IRC Wealthcast. This is your host, Joe Shum, and on the board is the, the newly found comedian, Jody Hirsch. <laughs> And with me today, I have a very interesting guest, given what's happening out there in the wealth building environment, is Mark Takas from a team out of uh, Keller Williams Realty Midtown here in Atlanta. It's the In Atlanta team. Mark, welcome. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me. Did I get it right? You did. Okay. All right. So it was Tukach in the old country. Tukach. Okay. <laughs> and and I was Shum. So uh, all right. Yeah. So we've we've modernized so we've, our names. We've anglicized everything. Yes, we have. So it's great for you to get some of your valuable time on this one. We met recently, and you uh, share a lot of the same views on the power of real estate. And I thought that some of the things, the great things you folks are doing over there, might be fun to bring out into the uh, wealth building audience and like i said you're one of the rare wealth building managers that appreciates the, <laughs> the role that real estate can play that i found there there is a there is a, a there is a slight demarcation there and i'm sure my boss would have other words but you know building wealth is what's really important and that's what irc wealthcast is all about well we appreciate that yeah, yeah man we're good with that we're good with that because at the end of the day it's about taking care of the things you can control Right. And the rest of it's just going to happen on its own. Markets come and go. They go up and down. And, you know, if you're behaving correctly, you'll get to the end of the line and you'll be in good shape. So with that said, I do have some curiosities around today's subject, which is really about prepping a house for sale. And there's all kinds of, it's like anything else, right? There's, you know, the seven things you need to know, the five things you must do. It's whatever, whatever thing is out there, there's 40 lists, yep. right? And I found that two things were very interesting to me. One is some of the things that you really believe in and also some of the data you have backing things up, which a lot of times it's very anecdotal. And so I wanted to take us down that road. What do you think? Yeah, so a lot of this is based on experience. And okay. we've been doing this, uh, I've been licensed since 2004. We sell a lot of houses on our team and I'm the primary listing manager for those. And you start to see trends and patterns emerge and, mm -hmm. and those can change with every market. Even within a few months, uh, you know, staging wasn't as important a few months ago as I feel like it's becoming now. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where you hire a, a designer or someone to come in and bring furniture or just kind of lay out your, your existing furniture so it, it enhances the appeal of the house. But the, the thing that we are always asked to do, and I think really we bring a lot of value to, is getting the house ready for sale. It can mean a couple of percentage points on your sale price. Which, if you're looking at that's significant at five percent on a three hundred thousand dollar house, that's a lot. That's fifteen thousand dollars yeah. in your pocket. Yeah, just by doing some pretty simple things. So we really focus a lot. We're pretty tough on our clients about getting it ready, but it's for their own good. I mean, at the end of the day, their their goal is to sell it as as high a price as possible and as fast as possible. Yep. And that intersection, a lot of that comes with the condition of the house. No, I think that's a great foundation for us to have a conversation around because it brings up a whole bunch more questions I have for you. And it's safe to say market is in a seller's position right now. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Uh, almost across the board. Mm -hmm. But we are seeing, you know, the data is showing that some markets are 
starting to wane a little bit. Maybe they were in a severe seller's market where things would sell in less than 30 days mm-hmm. or you know, less than a week sometimes. Those are starting to shift to where things are sitting on the market for three, four, five months. That's still a, a slight seller's market, but it's not as it's not like they're going to get 10 offers on day one mm-hmm. like they were. So you have to be careful and you really have to make sure that you present properties in the right way in order to you know, put your best foot forward because now there's competition. Mm-hmm. And you want to look better than the other guy. And, and no, I appreciate that because this is anecdotal based on everyone sort of feels like they know where they live, right? Right. And what I'm seeing is still a fairly small inventory, although right now it's a little greater than it was, say, six months ago. Six months ago, there was like two or three houses and boom, they were blitzkrieged right out of there. Now I'm seeing on each street a couple of more houses, and they are parked a little longer. Not a lot, but because it was so amazing in the other direction, it was like, oh, my God, that house is sitting when we know it's been on the market for 20 days. Exactly. Oh, my God, you know, they, they must be having trouble. So, so it leads me to something that I, I've seen on some of your content. You said your home must now compete in two areas, features and price. Right. So how does that play a role in the idea of setting your home up for sale? So the houses that always sell first in any market, whether it's a seller's market or a buyer's market, have that combination. You know, they're, they're priced like Walmart, but they give you the features of Neiman Marcus. Mm-hmm. So having presenting that kind of a product to a buyer, they're going to pick that every single time because it's, it's the best value and it's the greatest number of features. Getting to that point is the best way to insulate against sitting on the market too long, getting stale, you know, the, all the negatives that can come with a, a almost a stigmatized property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what does location play a role amongst those two parameters? Location, location, location. St- still that. Absolutely. Okay. So within a, and, and right behind that, oddly, is uh, schools in this market, followed by, you know, features, condition, all that. So in a certain location, you want to be the best priced highest feature home but the location is kind of your ground your uh the floor of what you're talking about okay foundation so what does it really mean to prepare a house for sale probably the single biggest thing and and the most time consuming is to declutter it kind of not depersonalize necessarily i'm i'm not as big on that as a lot of agents are but just make it look big make it look like someone can put their own stuff in there and feel good about it i've run into clients who have 150 Buddhas sitting around a house and they didn't want any of their Buddhas to go, go away. Has a calming effect. Yes. So they, so they thought, you know, as soon as we got them to move half of them out, we started to get some traffic. So, right. you know, that kind of stuff. It, what I tell people is that your stuff's great and it's museum quality and all that, but people aren't coming to the, to your house to see a museum. Mm-hmm. They want to come and see the house. And, and by, removing a lot of stuff, then they can, you know, the buyer can start to really experience the home for themselves. The other thing is I tell, I tell our clients when, when you're decluttering, take out as much stuff till you possibly can't live with what's left and then take out one more piece and you'll probably be good. Oh, that's cool. So even when you're all, you think you're there, just go one more and you'll be fine. We call that the stretch. Yes. Yeah. Give it the stretch. <laughs> Give it the stretch. So then I, I have to ask this since you are a realty professional, What's up with the color beige and the realtor's <laughs> fascination with that? Well, now it's gray. Now oh, is it gray? Yes. Okay. Now, now we've gone to this like silvery gray thing that everyone's getting painted. And then the new color already coming up is called 
Revere Pewter is the new one coming in. <laughs> or putty. Or putty, yes. Actually, it's kind of a cool color. <laughs> is but, it? Okay. But yeah, so right. we, you know, we go with what works. We steal everyone's <laughs> old ideas. And if, if that's what the buyers like, that's what they'll go with. <laughs> I love it. I've, I've had more, let's just say, challenging conversations <laughs> over the monotone sort of, what do you call it? The neutral palette. Yes. Oh, so, yes. <laughs> um... <laughs> yeah, and in the suburbs, that's necessary, we find. But in, oh, sure. in town, it's, you know, you can't get away with, a totally black wall here right, and a right. red, you know. So you need to be careful, but you can get away with a little more personality in town typically. Yeah, that makes sense though. When you start to move OTP, right? For those of us who are not in Atlanta outside the perimeter, differentiation is is far more subtle right. than the in-town neighborhoods. Right. So that's a great point. And and I appreciate your candor with that. This is the first person I've actually been able to ask or remember to ask. So we call it modeling. We're not stealing stuff. We're modeling. Right. Yeah. We on, on our side of the table we say curation. We curate content. We, we that as opposed to what that which we create. All right. Great. So let's go over some stats. You got some cool stats with you, and I'd love to have folks hear some of the things. Now, declutter you mentioned was at the top of the list, and by a lot. Um, yeah, and it's the cheapest, easiest, most effective thing that you can do when you're getting your house ready to sell. Yeah. It's recommended more often than not. I don't know any realtor that doesn't recommend it. Mm-hmm. And it's rare that you walk into someone's home that doesn't need it at all. Right. So it's 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 where you start with everything. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, right behind it is just clean, clean the place. If yeah. you have a really spotless house that smells good, people are going to remember that. Smell is one of those senses that you don't necessarily identify consciously, but subconsciously your brain's going to remember the enjoyment of a house that smelled or didn't smell good. Yeah. Especially when you start getting into things like pet odors and stuff like that. And it's really tough even for pet lovers. You know, I know as having pets in a house, I'm constantly my closest friend guests that come in. Hey, what do you think? Do we smell? (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that, and we're not selling. And I just want to make gut check. You know, what do you think? The house smell okay? Yep. That's a big um, one. Smoke. Smoke. smoke in their house yeah. is huge. Right. Right. Yeah. And there's a psychology to selling a property. And one of those things, back to scent, is for some reason, buyers, if they smell fresh paint, they think the whole house is just that in that much better mm-hmm. condition. Yeah. So oftentimes we'll have someone repaint an accent wall or some, do something like that just to get that fresh paint smell in the house. Smart. Smart. Yeah. It's always tough to, to when you compete uh, with a house in the neighborhood that's new con, right? New construction yep. because, you know, fr- uh, f- fresh cut wood and new paint is a tough scent, uh, set of scents. It's like an aphrodisiac. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's like, oh, man, that's really good in there. Yeah, cool. What other things are uh, showing up? I see carpet cleaning. Yeah, um, and, you know, the pet smell, like pet, you said. Okay. The, the biggest bang for your buck is typically your outdoor projects. Really? So curb appeal is another huge one. If you can even just add some perennials, just a little bit of flower, paint the front door, just make that really look fresh. Again, it's the psychology of a buyer. They look at things online for so long, and, and our photography is so good anymore that they've almost experienced the house online before they ever come to visit it. So all that, f- they've decided within 30 seconds of showing up at that house if they're buying it or not. It's that quick. It's that quick. And basically the rest of the tour is just confirming if they're going to buy it. I didn't know it was that fast. That's impressive. Yeah, so the front door and the entryway and the front porch, that's why bungalows have typically sold well because of that inviting front porch. Yeah. So it's, it's really that fast where people make that decision and the rest of the time you're just trying to get them to confirm it and not have any, you know, buyer's remorse or, or hangups. 
Mm-hmm. And so to that end, things need to be well maintained. You can't have, you know, stains on the ceilings and broken pieces, you know, right. tile, chip tile, stuff like that. Yeah. Things that kind of... Countertops that are unhooked. Right. Yeah. Things that are just going to make them feel really confident about the decision they've pretty much already made. So then if we go, if we take the home as your investment, then, because this is an, not an argument, a conversation that comes up quite a bit in and amongst my home, because we're kind of believers in you got to keep sort of constantly... Mm-hmm updating and not just fixing, but also kind of, I don't know, refreshing. Right. It always just makes no sense to me. People who will live in a residence 10, 15 years, do nothing. And then I'm going to sell. And now they've got a pretty good price tag. If they want to get it to a level where folks like you say, I can get you a bigger dollar for this property. Yep. We see that a lot. So right now, in addition to kind of your normal, home sellers that have to move for whatever reason, bigger house or whatever. We're getting a lot of people that we call accidental landlords. And Mm -hmm. these are the people that couldn't sell their homes during the downturn, had been renting it out for a while, seven, eight years now. And now they decide they want to sell. And and I've had four or five of them put well over $10,000 into these houses. Mm -hmm. They did minimal maintenance or no maintenance for all this time. They collected rent. It got pretty beat up. And now, and a few have said, you know, they, they, they make it right with themselves by just basically saying, I've got to pay the piper now. Mm -hmm. I did nothing for so long. And now it's just the bills come due. And those are investment properties that reside though in primarily owner occupant neighborhoods. So yeah, when you say the accidental landlord, they moved out because they wanted a different school or closer to their job or whatever. I mean, some people did the math and realized they could rent their existing house for more than what they would pay for another place. Sure. And so it was just a strictly financial decision. So there's a lot of reasons to do it, but now they're coming due when they want to sell it. So then a little bit of a sidebar on this then, if it's a true investment property in an investment property Mm -hmm. neighborhood, what might be different from some of these recommendations if you're wanting to sell an investment property? Depend. I mean, if your if your market is to another investor, then you're going to want to show how low maintenance the property is. You know, if it's to an owner occupant, then you're probably going to do a lot of the things that we recommend to other okay. other sellers. Uh, so really, we try to identify who the most likely buyer is, and then we kind of start and cater our recommendations to that buyer. I think that's great too, because there's a big difference between retail and investment buyer and wholesale investment buyer, oh, right? Yeah, you start huge. getting into as-is contracts yep. and really sky's the limit is what you don't have to do. Yeah, do nothing. Yeah, right. Really on that, at that point, what you're doing, assuming it's a rental type scenario, yeah. you are uh, probably going to put a tenant in there at a mm-hmm. max rental rate because that's what the the investor really wants. If they're occupied, yeah. If, if, they're, if they're occupied with a good renter. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're looking to sell to someone for the land, then maybe you're going to clear the land or you're going to do a little bit of work and get a survey done and things like that. So really you're, you're catering to who your most likely buyer is. Survey is a great idea. I can see, especially when you're seeing a lot of scrapes now, yep. right? That it might make sense to spend two, 300 bucks and get the survey included in your sales package. As well as check on the zoning. As the zoning, right? Yeah. If there's the ability to assemble, if there's yep. ability to connect to a, yeah, there's, a commercial so that's level. that's a lot of paper stuff. Yeah, it is. It is. I like that, though. It makes sense because you could make yourself a differentiated property. Then they can make a faster decision. Decision might even go faster in your favor, even Mm -hmm. if you had to, if that's uh, money out of pocket, just because they're saying, 
oh, look, we don't have to do any of this. We well, and it's not just line. the money out of their pocket. So here's an interesting sidebar. I guess. Tell me. So when you when you do those things, when you're selling a piece of property that's most likely going to get knocked down, if you do those, take those steps uh, with the zoning and what could be built there and and the survey, what you've done is you've taken the seasoned builder or developer because mm-hmm. they already know all this stuff. And you've put them on an even even playing field with a more novice builder or developer who might be willing to overpay. So you're maximizing your value by by making a bigger group of buyers. I see. So you're creating a bigger auction. And then this is completely out of Midtown. So, I mean, we're going way far from Midtown in this, but Midtowners may have this situation. Any differences with a second home slash vacation home in terms of prepping? Again, it's it depends on who your buyer is. Okay, so it's no it's no you're buying on market. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, that's cool too. Uh, let's see. So we've talked a little bit from the investment side about some of the quote paper prepping you can do. If I'm going back to my own primary residence, what other what other things are there that people can prepare for the marketplace to make their property more attractive? Not so much the physical sort of things like we've mentioned, are there other things that can be done? From a marketing standpoint, you know, pricing it right is always important. Mm-hmm. It's about 80% of the marketing you're going to do on a property is the price. You can price anything wherever you want it, but if it's so far out of bounds, yeah. no one's even going to see it. So that would be a non-physical thing, I guess. What about <laughs> any any types of, is it... A, or maybe we're relying on the realtor for this, or the realty agency prepping, you know, mortgage numbers or anything like that. Does that have any value today? Not really. I mean, the the buyers are coming in with that stuff pretty much done. They're they're um, good to go. We don't have a ton of uh, loan assumption options, mm-hmm. although that is going to start coming around as people that bought FHA or VA financed homes uh, start selling. Uh, utility bills are always a good one, though. That's one we get asked about a lot. Oh, yeah, I like That's, that. Yeah, so we okay. get, you know, the cost of ownership idea, mm-hmm. uh, especially since there's a lot of first-time buyers out there, finally. You know, they don't know what your electric bill costs and mm-hmm. what it should cost. So that's a big one. And that can set you apart from other houses, too. If you've invested the money to make your home more energy efficient, then if if somebody knows that and knows that they're going to have a lower cost of ownership presumably they would be willing to pay a little bit more. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So if you upgraded the mechanicals and so on, then you can show, you know, my SEER on my HVAC system is higher and this is what it's equated to. And yeah, I like that. Uh, I like that uh, jazz. What about, I noticed a lot of people are going high tech with, because you've talked about this. We talk about it a lot too, about your image online. So the investment in video and or photos, things that make you be able to tour the home before they actually tour the home. Right. Uh, So we've always, in my entire career, we've always hired professional photographers. Uh, We feel like it's important. It shows the house in the best light. Mm -hmm. Now, we we don't go and get the guys with the big fish eyes and all that crazy stuff because it really distorts the house. Yeah. I I don't think that's fair. You know, there's other options out there. There's this idea of virtual staging where you can take a picture of a room and someone can place furniture in it where they would like to see it. So because it is so internet-based now, that gives you this idea of what the room could lay out as. Mm -hmm. We don't do that. Um, We find that if someone sees it virtually staged online, 
A, it looks a little cheesy. It does look a little never, weird. I have seen some examples right. of that, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they walk into the property, and it doesn't have that feel. Mm-hmm. And, and people have a hard time visualizing things. To that end, though, r- real staging, where a designer brings furniture into your home, we do recommend that. And we're finding that that's becoming more and more important. Uh, you know, over half of realtors feel like it gets you a price 1% to 10% higher than really? what you would have gotten. And that's just because people have a hard time placing their furniture and, and visualizing space. It's a very small portion of the population that can actually do that. I mean, if, if you've ever walked into an empty loft, it is really hard if there's nothing in it to figure out the scale of a couch and things like that because yeah. it's... you got to be really creative. Or, or really experienced. Yeah. And, yeah. and just not a lot of people have that ability. So yeah. that helps. We find that that does help. Um, we recently had uh, three houses that, we, that were empty. We got them all three staged, and within a weekend, all three of them had contracts. Well, that's an endorsement yeah. for staging. I mean, I think that was sort of a one-off, but sure. we have seen a track record approaching that. This is the first time we've actually had it just that fast. Three well, it's outlierish, except you did it three times on the right. same weekend. Exactly. So it's sort of an outlier of an outlier. I mean, right now, yeah. yeah. So it, if that trend continues, though, then that's something that we will definitely keep pushing on. So staging, then, Mark, is it market condition specific? I'm. I normally feel that way. I mean, I feel like everything is market condition and who your buyer yeah. is. So you really have to customize an approach to each uh, each transaction in that mm-hmm. regard. But we are starting to see where buyers just for whatever reason, don't have the ability or desire or they just can't get past an empty room. And so we're seeing where that investment is paying off big what, time for people. What are people looking for investing in staging? What, what Was it usually a ticket on something like that? I mean, I've seen as low as $1,800 for a you know smaller house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, over $6,000 for a 3,000, 3,500 square foot house. Is it usually like a flat rate or is there... No, there, there's some... Usually what they'll do is they'll charge you uh, some setup fee for basically moving the furniture in, hiring the designer, that sort of thing, and then a rental fee depending on how long you keep the staging. I see. Okay. So that's where it sort of adds up to three to $5,000. You know, I like the, uh, the uh, option of it, though, especially in the, uh, the way the job market is today. People are moving around, mm-hmm. and they may have to go, right? They may, and, and so this Selling does fast is yeah, a big deal yeah it, it is and so staging allows them to have a home within a home right a home within a house even though it's not theirs anymore and they've moved on they've right. taken all their stuff with them yeah but so. it gives them the ability to you know generally it sells faster yeah and for a higher dollar amount it is hard for a lot of sellers to get their head around that because they because <laughs> they think that they're we're in such a severe seller's market and it's not necessary yeah but we do we do we believe that it works we have anecdotal evidence that it works so convincing them of that sometimes can be tricky though so then based on your knowledge of you know obviously a fairly good sized town like atlanta what seems to be having the biggest i don't know jazz right now the biggest excitement around are we talking condos lofts single family homes freestanding Honestly, it's anything on the belt line Re- anything on the belt, belt line is that's hard to right believe now. yeah yeah so it's and you know if you look at uh where that that project goes it goes from some of the most affluent neighborhoods in atlanta to yeah. some of the poorest it does and so you're getting all in, in condos houses you know whatever com- a lot of commercial stuff happening mm-hmm. on it so you um, you get a real diverse group of people that want to be affiliated or associated with the Beltline, mm-hmm. but that is the one thing driving uh, driving prices and driving the market and in, in town right now. 
Gotcha. And in terms of buyers, even though this is about staging your home for <laughs> selling, curious about our millennial friends. What are you seeing there? Are they moving out of their apartments finally? Or? I'm curious about them too. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably because you have a few. Yeah, we yeah. we're trying. Um, yeah, I mean, they're starting to, you know, they're a little bit older generally than than probably when you or I were buying our first houses. Yeah. And, and I think that's just a function of the recent economy. You know, even though it was five years ago, it's still, we still feel it. It's like there's a, we do. there's a hole in everyone's financial life from that time period. And you just, you were lucky to stay even and, and not a lot of people were able to grow. So that five-year period is still hampering that group quite a bit, I think. Okay. They definitely want things to be move-in ready. Uh, you know, they don't they don't want to do a lot of work to. We're a not house. looking at rehabbers. They're huh? not looking at rehabbers, which is surprising because wow, that, I'm surprised. I am surprised about that. That was traditionally a big thing in town. Yeah, you, I mean, I bought I bought a 1919 house and yeah, got renovated it and yeah. So, Jody says yes. Yeah. I've rehabbed yeah. homes inside the perimeter. So and... that was that was kind of what you did to be able to afford a house in a nice neighborhood. Yeah. I think interest rates being low has probably made things more affordable for them or for everybody. And and they're just not willing, seemingly willing to put in the kind of sweat equity and work that we have traditionally seen. Mm-hmm. So that's been a big thing. The other thing that I notice is they are really, they're buying for like the 10 to 15 year horizon rather than the three to five that, again, we used to all do. Okay. So they're wanting to buy a bigger house. They're already looking at a good school district. Like they're not they're not buying a, a starter home to start and move. Wow. They're buying a starter home to be in for a while. Does that cause some problems if we get if we go back and sort of circle back to wealth management, debt management, things like this, how do how difficult is that for them? They're already carrying some pretty heavy student loans. Yeah, so they're paying more for it. Yeah, I'm wondering. Yeah, they're carrying a lot of debt then if they're going to shoot the moon for the, you know, the 5-4, three-car garage. Yeah, well, I don't know if they're going that high. But <laughs> okay. I mean, kind of a three, a four-bedroom house is golden. Still big. Yep. Yeah. Which is a big house, right? Yes, yes. So we found, I found that to be really interesting. Um, I don't know how that's going to play out from the mm-hmm. wealth management side. I mean, I guess on the one hand, if you're in your house longer, you're paying debt down more. That's true. You've got an unbelievably low mortgage rate, so you're you're hopefully making more money over time. Mm-hmm. So as a ratio, you know, your your debt to income ratios should be relatively low. If it's affordable today at 28, yeah, it should be really affordable at 32. Yes, in theory. So in that sense, it, it might be a, a really savvy financial move. But they're also really struggling and stretching and fighting to get these houses. Yeah. So you mean just from an availability standpoint? Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. Yeah. So because the, the inventory is, is, is so tough. Yep. Yeah. And they're ignoring the opportunities in the up and coming neighborhoods. And smaller houses. Smaller houses. Yeah. I mean, because I still I, I'm, I'm surrounded by small neighborhoods that I've invested in mm-hmm. and also have lived in. And they're gems. I mean, yep. you can go down there and get a house for 70, 80 grand. Yep. And do whatever you want to it. No one's even going to tell you. You can't chop down trees. Right. You can't tear the top off. I don't even know if you need a permit half the time. Right. You know, it's just, and I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say which county. So, um, however, it, I just it marvel. I'm marveled by the lack of interest in some of these neighborhoods, which are generally, they're pioneering, but still more safe than not. Very stable. Though. Yeah, yeah, stable. You know, a lot of people have been there a long time. Mm-hmm. They're happy to see new blood come in. And yet, no one's doing anything with it, you know. They... I agree. And and the other thing that we see with, out of that group, which is interesting to me, is the level of volunteerism within those neighborhoods 
isn't as high as as what we've seen in the past. Mm. And I and you read everything, and supposedly the level, the volunteer level, is much higher across the board. Right. So I don't know if that's that they don't want to volunteer in their neighborhood or don't see value in it, and they expend those resources elsewhere or what sure. happens. But I think that is what has a lot to do with with um, the more pioneering neighborhoods not getting the attention. Yeah. That someone that knows better would probably look at. Yeah, interesting, because there are still, and I'm sure this goes across to other cities, not just our city, right. uh, neighborhoods like this that have, you know, that are being ignored. Mm-hmm. And that plus the entire region of upstate New York, which I think has generally been ignored for the last 15 <laughs> years. You can just about buy anything you want up there, my old turf, and uh, and get it for next to nothing. And it's like 9,000 square feet. As long know. as you can leave starting what august 15th right. it starts to get cold and right come right back in June. you just go up there for the three days of bad ice <laughs> right. skating right. yeah yeah all right well great um what other uh, uh gems can you extol on us here what do you got now you're putting the pressure on yeah me. i put a little pressure on a little you. bit of pressure galore on. over there and yeah. so I'm, I'm i'm asking you to step we up we kind of yeah we kind of address the this idea of impact of time on market and okay. preparing the house and all that I mean, I can't stress it enough. Right now, we're, we're it feels like we're going through another transition from seller market to buyer market. You think that? And and those are and I think we've probably got a at least a year of of a decent seller market left. But whenever we see these transitions, it's it's kind of like when you start your boat and it turns all that water mm-hmm. and it gets real messy mm-hmm. and then it planes out. It it feels like that where things buyers have different expectations than sellers. And the sellers are probably getting a little outdated and the buyers are getting a little more brazen about it. And so if you sit on the market for very long, you're going to you're gonna fall prey to that. That makes sense. So having the house ready, and we, we you know pound our fists and get into pretty heated discussions sometimes. But we firmly believe that having it prepared, looking great, getting it sold quickly is really to the seller's advantage. Something else that comes to mind here, prepping for sale. Mm-hmm. There's a, a lot, there's always been, you know, there's been like the, you know, the old wives tales about when to sell, you know, it's like, I can only sell in this quarter, not that quarter, this kind of thing. <laughs> and then I've heard lately some more modern thinkers around realty that say, no, there are, there are, there are benefits to other times, uh, I guess what you call other periods of the year. Yeah. So any thoughts there? And again, it's very market specific. So traditionally in the suburbs, summer is your big sales time because it's school driven market. Okay. So, you know, we have a very short summer in Georgia. So June, May, June, July is when you, by that thinking, you have to sell in the suburbs. Right. In town, oddly, was traditionally the reverse of that, where June, July, August are very slow times of year. And and I would still say July and August are pretty slow. Mm-hmm. You know, people are at the lake, they're out at the beach. They don't, the last thing they want to do is mess around with selling a house, right. selling or buying a house. Um, they, they want to focus on their fun, you know, their life. Yeah. But the, the, the spring is still the best time. And we try to get our clients to understand that March, April, May is sort of your prime time. But if you can beat people to the punch, if you can be on the market in February, the weather's still pretty good here. Mm-hmm. This would be a random ice storm. You know, it's, it's generally a pretty good time because you beat all the other houses that are coming to the market. People have decided if they're going to buy in that year, it's probably a, you know. You think they've made a the New decision, Year's, it's at least a New in Year's resolution, yeah, right? Yeah. And so if That's you can get point. out there ahead of everybody, then those buyers are going to come to you first. So we like to say that our spring starts February 1st and then, you know, it runs till about June. 
Mm-hmm. And then June, July, August can slow down somewhat. Uh, not a ton, but some. And then back in the fall, we get we get going again. And then oddly, December is a pretty good sales month for the in-town market. Yeah, you know, we, um, I'm trying to think that we bought our house, literally, I think the beginning of November, we didn't move into it for like 30 days. Right. It was an empty house. Yeah. However, we moved in in December and we had never done that before. It was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. Uh, it was fair for everybody. You know, it was a great transaction. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I really liked about it is I could pick up a moving truck. Right. right? <laughs> Try and get a moving truck in June. Yeah. No, you know? that's, that's part of it. Yeah. Because right? yeah. the stress, I mean, we deal with the buying and selling of a house, but the moving is the worst. Moving stuff and it's expensive. <laughs> and my founder at IRC, always when he's counseling folks on the things we can control to build wealth, whenever someone says well, we want to move, he really talks about the expense of moving. Yeah. Not so much about the buying and selling because there's a lot of reasons why we coach our clients to sell mm-hmm. a house, right? Either downsizing or taking advantage of a market so that they can go take that money and do other things right, with it, whether right. it's funding other investments, whether it's starting a business, whatever the money is supposed to go for. However, we always talk about the considerations of what it will cost you to just pick up your stuff. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, because sometimes people don't think about that. They think, oh, I can make this and I can do that. And then they turn around, they realize that, hey, you know, you got a lot of stuff, <laughs> you know, and it's in three, you know, especially we see in the modern family, we get into two things. We get people that are combining families. Yep. So now I'm moving a couple of homes or uh, we also deal a lot in divorce. And so there's people going from one to many homes. Mm-hmm. And so both can be expensive if not thought through. So, all right. I have a, this is a question we, we like to ask our guests of recent. So I'm going to ask you, what does success mean to you? Ooh, It's the idea that I can go and do what I want, be it for fun or philanthropy or, or a new business or an mm-hmm. adventure like that. And, and know that I'm secure on the back end. Like, it's not a, it's not having to take a risk that could cost you everything. Mm-hmm. And and that can look like a lot of different things in my mind. And it again, it just kind of depends on what that is uh, at the time and what subject matter you're talking about. So, I guess it's that level of freedom or or being able to do that if the mood strikes me or or I see the need. So I love your answer, and I'll tell you why. So. Whether it's real estate or whether it's the you know the, the what we call the sanitized investment marketplace or whatever you know, we see eye to eye on that. Which is these are things you can control. Ultimately, financial freedom is something we talk about all the time, regardless of how you build the wealth, and and having as little you know reducing your debt over time as quickly as possible. Right. And risk avoidance, then not the risk like Brexit or, you know, an election, <laughs> things we can't control, but things we can like spending less than you make and such. And that mm-hmm. puts you in a position that you just described. So I, I, my hat's off to you. you you've addressed the four pillars of the IRC uh, wealth made simple system no from way. the chair of a realtor. <laughs> Right? So you did good. To the audience, that was not planned. See, and that's why we asked that question. We like organic. So, hey, listen, tell people how they can find you, Mark. So our office is in Midtown. It's at Pershing Point, right where Peachtree and West Peachtree meet. We'd love for you to stop by someday. Yeah, man. Um, You can find us online at www.loveatlantahomes.com. And you can call us. Actually, my cell phone is 404-538-6849. That's the best way to get me there. Awesome. Any other social media channels you guys uh, frequent? 
we've got our LinkedIn and our Facebook okay. at in Atlanta Realty, I think is what our Facebook is. And then um, you look me up on, on LinkedIn and uh, connect with me there. Okay. Mark Takis is, is what I'm, I'm under. Yeah. And then um, I think that's it. Yeah. And uh, Mark's been very gracious. He's got some great data here and some sort of checklists and, and, and supporting data. And we're going to put it up online at ircwealth.com with connections back to Mark's site, which is uh, in Atlanta, that team out of uh, Keller Williams Realty Midtown, Atlanta, so that uh, you can grab these things. They're going to be free, and they're going to be with Mark's brand on them, and then you can uh, connect back to him if you have questions. But it's some really great content they've put together. And we can also put up, uh, we run quarterly market stats Okay. out the wazoo, and <laughs> we, can, we can share those up there as well. Great. Uh, both for the Atlanta MSA and the in-town market. Fabulous, yeah, because they are they are different. Very. They very are different. different. So so uh, please stop by uh, Mark uh, Mark's site and, uh, and go reach out to Mark for an expert's opinion. And then, of course, we are IRC Wealth, and you can get us at ircwealth.com. We are also on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. We have a bunch of stuff out on our site that's always free in the form of tools and replays of original content we create and broadcast every week, either in the form of a podcast like here with Mark, subject matter experts and trusted advisors, and also blogs. And so just come out and get smart about building wealth and choose your vehicle. So, Mark, thanks so much for coming. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was great. And uh, thanks for bringing all these cool stats and stuff. I didn't have to look up anything this time. You did it all for me. I'm a numbers geek at heart. (laughs) You just, you made my life easier. (laughs) All right, folks. Thanks again for stopping by. 